Good morning, church fam. I'm excited this morning. Um, it's been like the past six weeks or so, this burden on my heart to give this word. And I think God has been preparing this word in my heart for a while now as I've been wrestling with scripture, wrestling with how this applies to me, applies to our church, applies to our larger body here in the Bay Area of believers. Um, and I believe God has a word. He's got a word. Um, so I'm excited to talk on the topic of living generously. Um, let me give you a little overview of what that looks like for us. Um, every year at Movement that I've been here, we've always had a Be Generous sermon or Sunday. Usually it's like one Sunday near the end of the year. We just focus on giving and generosity. Um, I want to say these next few Sundays, almost for the month of November, we will have a pretty strong focus on generosity. Um, today I'm going to kick us off with how to live generously, um, sacrificially, joyfully. Uh, next week we're going to have Pastor Scott from Resonate Church come and preach on generosity in the terms of being a gospel family and gospel, what is that mission for us as a gospel family to live generously. And then the week after that, uh, Pastor Jason, also another Resonate pastor, will come down and preach on discipleship and the importance of discipleship and how that ties into generosity. And finally, Pastor Owen, in the back there, will be giving a sermon on living generously for God's kingdom. So very excited for that. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm excited to dig in this with you. Um, I think this topic is one that is controversial. <laughs> I know a lot of people want to say, oh, why are we preaching on money? But if we look to the Bible and we see how many times Jesus talked about money, that was like one of the most, number one or number two topics talked about the most. And so there's a reason for this. I think there's a reason uh, we live in a materialistic world. We live in a world driven by money, driven by finances. And so I think there's a very important reason why Jesus addressed it and why we need to address it as a church today, in our age, especially in the Bay Area. So let me kick us off. Um, what does God's generous love look like? Uh, you know, as I kind of started this, I wanted to look to the beginning. I wanted to look to where did God start? And obviously God started in Genesis, um, the creation story. And if you look at the creation story, what you see is God is a host, and he created, what, the Garden of Eden. And he invited Adam and Eve to join with him in this paradise of abundance, right? This place of just bounty and endless amount of, like, all the fruits you could try, right? Like, everything you can imagine. Mangoes, strawberries, whatever you like, pineapples. I don't know if anyone here likes durian. But everything was there, right? An abundance. And if you think about creation, God didn't have to create a thousand different variations. He could just create a one. But he chose to bless with abundance and diversity uh, because that's God's heart, his abundant heart for humanity. And the thing is, he also calls us to be his co-hosts with him, right? He called Adam and Eve to be his stewards. He called his people to be co-hosts with him and stewarding what his creation, right? That is one of our callings as a believer, to steward what God has given us and be a co-host with him. And so maybe bringing that 
picture to life today. Who's in a formation group today? Raise your hand if you're in a formation group. Awesome. I'm part of a formation group on Thursday um, at the Meadows. Thank you, Marcy and Wayne. They're such generous hosts to us. And Rue and Jesse are the facilitators and leaders. But I love walking into the home, and the first thing you see, knock the door, ring the doorbell. You see Marcy greeting us with her big, warm smile. You know, we already feel like, man, just the hospitality right off the bat. And then people start trickling in, and you, uh, I think last time we had chicken adobo, which was delicious. Jesse and Rue, thank you for cooking that. The smell of adobo wafting, you know, through the, through the house. And you immediately feel this warmth. Man, I've been invited here to this fellowship, friends, good company. Um, and that's what God does with us. He invites us into this with him, to be his co-host with him. Um, and yet, um, I'll share one other story of generosity. I think it'll help us put us in picture. Um, Lee and I, we just uh, recently got back from uh, Bora Bora. This is a picture of us on the island of Morea. If you don't know where Bora Bora is, it's four hours, three hours, three and a half hours south of Hawaii. Um, we went there to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. So 10 years, big one for us. Yes, it was very exciting. Thank you, thank you. Um, and it's beautiful. Man, just, just looking out like at that. And this is obviously you know, just a little fraction of the view, but the reef, the colors of the water, the lush green plants in the island, it's just stunning. Um, and if you go into this next picture too, just maybe help zoom that out a little bit. That's like just a little picture, a taste of God's creation, right? The clouds, the beauty, the abundance. Um, I love how the people there have a very laid back sense of life, island life. I mean, they live on paradise, right? And so unlike the bay that um, I think most of us are used to, we have a hustle, we have a grind, right? Like, like we need to find the next thing, get promoted. We need to earn, you know, 10% more, get an increase. Um, but there in the island life, it was just people were already in paradise. So people just worked to put food on the table. <laughs> and then they would go out on their boats and go fishing and have fun and it's an interesting type of life living on an island. Um, but I share this because, in contrast, we bring us back to the bay. Um, we have a shift, right? We feel like, next slide, we feel like we don't have enough. Do you ever get that feeling that you don't have enough? Is it just me? Okay, maybe it's just me. Oh, okay, so I see a few hands. All right. Some people are being honest here. Thank you, hi. We have a feeling like there isn't enough. Um, and it's weird because as a Christian, a believer, God has called us to keep this party going, to be his co-host in a creation which is supposed to be abundant and full of goodness. And yet often we feel like there isn't enough to go around, right? We feel like there's not enough money, there's not enough time, not enough fun. Where did it all go? So in this message, I'm going to get into the heart of that. I'm going to get into the heart of why we feel that. And uh, to give you that peak, I believe all of that obviously entered with the fall, right? We had paradise in the garden, then we had the fall. And from that fall, an ideology opposed to God's will of abundance and generosity came into existence, which was scarcity, that there is not enough, that I have to get my own, that I worked hard for this, that I earned this, right? We had got into this mentality like I'm in it to win it for myself, right? Um, and so I'm going to dig into that, um, but I want us to have a picture also of 
uh, the burden that I have for us all living in the Bay, in the next slide here, um, that what does even generosity look like, uh, especially in our context, in Oakland, in the Bay Area, how do we live in abundance when some of us feel like we're barely scraping by, right? Um, and I, I, I wrestle with that. I feel that. I feel that tension. And as a believer, I believe God has a message for us to dig into. Um, he's got a message for us in his word on this. And it is a tension that we have to wrestle with as believers. And so if you dig into me with me, we're going to turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy 6, 7 to 8. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have on your phone, you can turn there. If not, you can read it here with me. 1 Timothy 6, 7 to 8. Let's read this together. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Oof. If we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. And then verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Oof, that's like a tough word, is it not? People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. And living in the Bay, let me tell you, the temptation, the longing to be rich is there. It's there all around us. Um, it's in our workplaces. Uh, it's in our schools. It's in the way that we live, the culture. Uh, as I share with Jesse, the spirit of the age is, is kind of there. Um, Finally, in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Oof. All right. Got the word. First Timothy. Let's unpack it a little bit. Here's the warning for us living in the Bay Area. Number one. You can't take money and wealth with you, right? We all know this. Like, I think we all know, okay, when we die, like, none of that really matters. Uh, and yet, we live our life as, like, the more we accumulate, the more we can get, the happier we're going to feel, right? Um, and yet, the stark truth um, is there's so many statistics you can go to prove this, but in fact, after a certain amount of just livable wage, is oftentimes the more you get, the more problems, actually the unhappier you get. Uh, so many stories of people who have like won the lottery, who have gotten millions and millions of dollars, and yet are so anxious and grieving and more problems than they started even out with, or they end up losing their home after blowing through all that money, right? Like, there's so many stories of this I can go into. But at the heart of it, number three is here, money is just one of many idols, right? It's an important one. We have to mention it because Jesus mentioned it. And yet, I think the, the more nefarious ones, the more subtle ones that we also struggle with is status. Status can be an idol. Time can be an idol. I mean, how many of us as parents, me included, want to obviously give our kids the best that we can, try to move into a neighborhood to get into the best school, right? Or... Um, 
you know, in, in our workplaces trying to work our way to, you know, the promotion, have to, like, maintain a status, right? Um, or a big thing for, you know, these, the younger generation, millennials, uh, Gen Zs, the new alpha, like, the big thing is not even money just being a, a wealth thing, but, like, just time. Can I, like, work four hours a day, and then I can call it a day, right? Or I can work really hard and then just early retirement, right? Um, these all can be idols that we idolize, that we're trying to strive for, whether we recognize it or not, uh, because that's the culture. That's the pervasive culture in the Bay Area. So we know this is a problem. First Timothy has told us that uh, this type of longing and desires will lead us to ruin and destruction. So what's the antidote? What would he do when we, we have these pressures and these feelings that, like, this is just what the culture's like, this is what the world's like, what do I do? So the antidote um, is being generous, and that's why we preach on this for each year, uh, at the end of the year, is to, to, to work on our hearts on this antidote. Um, my focus this message was on a side of that, which is just being living generously, because I know you guys want to be generous, and yet sometimes I think we struggle with how to live generously, and so that is going to be the focus of today's message. And I think the first and most important step, the one we probably don't talk about a lot in the church, at least here at Movement, is tithing. And tithing, in a nutshell, is giving God our first fruits, or giving back to God what has God given to us. And so I'm going to spend some time digging into the tithe. Why does the church, why do we teach the tithing? What is it? Um, I'm gonna dig into the root of this. Um, but before I do, I wanna share a startling kind of statistic. It kind of woke me up. So let me share this statistic with you. Let me see if you can read this. I know it's a little small. It says, percentage of U.S. adults who report donating 10% or more of income by generations. So uh, let's do this kind of a little roll call for generations. So millennials in the house, Yes, we have our millennials. Yes, that's me too. I'm in the late stage millennial, older. Gen Xers, and our Gen Xers, okay. Any baby boomers in the house? Yeah, a few baby boomers. And then elders are basically everything above baby boomers. I don't know if we have that demographic at our church. <laughs> but if you look at the percentages, what's interesting is this is percentage of people donating 10%, they're donating a tithe. 1% millennials to a church. Gen Xers, 2% to a church. Boomers, 3%. Elders, 7%, giving 10%. To nonprofits, you see a little higher numbers across the board, so 3%, 4%, 5%, 8%. Um, and then here's the stark numbers of did not tithe to a church or nonprofit, so no giving at all, um, or, or not giving the full 10% amount, right? So that's 95%, 93%, 92%. 85%. That's a stark number, church. That's a majority, a high percentage, almost 9 out of 10 that do not give a tithe as what the Bible explains as a tithe. And so um, I thought this quote was kind of interesting too, um, just that Christians give less today per capita than during the Great Depression. Um, and obviously some people could, could say, oh yeah, we're in a recession right now and economy is tough and all that stuff, but that's the stark truth, the reality of where our churches are with giving. So let me dig into Leviticus 27. This is where 
the, the Bible really f- is the first mention, I think, of the tithe concept. Leviticus 27.30. Let's read this together. So one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether from grain, from the fields, or fruit, from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Verse 31 to 32. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of the grain or fruit, you must pay its value plus 20%. Count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. So, what did the tithe, that tenth, that tithing look like in the past? Well, number one, the first fruit was an act of faith. What does that mean? If you hear, if you understand in like the Bible times, and most of us don't live on a farm, live in the agricultural society anymore, so we probably don't understand this, but when you have your first harvest, your first fruit, you don't know how the rest of the crop is going to look like. This was the first bunch of the harvest, the best. Usually you're trying to harvest the best, the cream of the crop, the first fruit. You don't know, you can't count, you can estimate, but you won't know the exact number of the harvest. And so it was like a act of faith, trusting God, I'm going to give you the best, the best 10%, set it apart for God, and I'm going to figure out what's left for me to sell and provide for my family, and is there enough to go to the marketplace and sell it? But it was an act of faith, a first fruit that they were set apart. This was for God. We're going to trust God to provide the rest, right? Second, I think, is this, you know, First fruit was also this concept of you're picking the best. You're not waiting till the end of the harvest with the rotting fruit, with the things that are not good for the market. You're giving God the best, the most ripe, the most mature, the peak of the season, right? That was the best, the first fruit, the cream of the crop. And finally, like I mentioned, you don't know what your last fruit, you don't know what the final harvest is. You don't even know the concept for today is a salary. You don't know what your final salary is. Right, because you haven't even harvested all of it. So you don't even know what your final salary is gonna be, and yet you're saying, I'm gonna try to give to God this first crop, this first tenth that I'm trying to set aside for the Lord. So what does that look like for us today? That was in the past. What does the tithe look like for us today? So tenth, tithe is 10%. Is our first fruits defined in our culture today as Gross income. I've had people ask me that question. What do you think tithe is? Is it gross, net? What does it really mean? If we're to take the biblical concept and translate it today, it's your gross income, 10%. The minimum biblical standard. And second, everyone who desires to follow God should be giving to God and his kingdom. And number three, 10%, the tithe is just our starting point. It's not the ending point of our giving. It's just the starting point. And I know some of you right now are like, Pastor, you're killing me. <laughs> um, you're saying that I have to give 10% even before, uh, you know, state and federal taxes have taken the other cut. I have to give 10% of that? And my answer is yes. And the reason why is because are we citizens of the United States first or are we citizens of God's kingdom first? Right? And our response as believers is we are God's citizens if we were to move to another country, to France or Bora Bora, wherever else, we would still be God's citizens first. That citizen's country next, right? That would be. 
So that is the concept of having this first fruit, the tithe, the gross. Um, and I know it's hard. It's hard to think about that, right? Because taxes take so much already, right? And yet this is the calling. And I know that's crazy. It feels crazy. But before we go into just even the what and the, I, I also want us to dig in deeper. Because even more important than the what, the amount is our heart. How should we be giving? That is what God probably even cares about more, right? Because it's not the amount of money, if you remember, it was the love of money that Jesus and Paul were warning against. And so let me dig into the heart. How? How should we give to the Lord? Um, if we'll dig into, uh, actually, there's a slide before this, I think. Oh, no, maybe not. Um, We'll go into 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 in just a moment, but I wanted to share how we should give to the Lord. I think there are different attitudes when it comes to how we should give to the Lord, because honestly, who among us wakes up in the morning and says, God, I'm, I'm just feeling so generous today. I want to you know, give away more of my you know, finances. I want to give away this. Um, we don't wake up that way, right? It's not natural to us. Oftentimes, in fact, uh, giving generously we feel fearful, am I right? We feel sometimes scared. We see, feel sometimes we give grudgingly, scroogingly, right? Because we feel like there's not enough. Um, so how do we combat this? And so 2 Corinthians 8, we can dig into that now. 2 Corinthians 8 digs into the how, how we should lead our hearts. Um, 3 to 4 says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Let me give you some context here. Um, it actually is missing one slide there. There's supposed to be verse eight, one to two. So let me read that for us first. For this was Paul talking to the churches in Macedonia. Um, and at that time, there was a famine in the world. Um, not unlike the stuff that we see today uh, with wars. We still have an ongoing war in Ukraine. We've got the wars now between Israel and Palestine. Like, and because of this, there's also famine because some of those areas are places of farming. Right? Ukraine was a huge breadbasket, so there's a lack. And so at that time, if we go back to that context, there was what they called the Great Famine. And so in verses 1 and 2, it says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So that's the start, the context of verses one and two before we go into three and four. And the church here, Corinthians, Corinth, was a city very like actually the Bay. It was a bustling entrepreneurial city near the water, kind of a hub of uh, a lot of trading and shipping and goods. And uh, Paul was encouraging the, the church in Corinth, which was like this Bay Area, to give to the churches in Jerusalem because they were suffering from this famine. The famine was kind of all surrounding Jerusalem, and so they were taking this donation, the Jerusalem donation. And what he's saying here is that the churches in Macedonia uh, these were the churches of uh, Philippi, you know, the book of Philippians, and some of the other churches in the Macedonian area. 
were feeling the effects. Everyone was feeling the effects of the famine. They were saying that, um, I was reading, they, the, the normal price of grain was eight times its price at that time. So you can imagine inflation, eight times. Imagine your groceries, eight times the price than they are now. Everyone was feeling it at that time. And yet, the church in Philippi and the Macedonian church, even though they were struggling, felt this burden to give. And Paul was encouraging the church of Corinthians, which was this Bay Area, wealthy, rich. They were struggling too. Everyone was feeling it. But in comparison to some of those Macedonian areas, you can kind of think of that like, I don't know, Bakersfield, <laughs> Merced, right, whatever. Um, they, were, they were feeling it, right? Um, they were giving. And they were encouraging, you know, the churches in the Corinth to give as well. Um, and so he's getting into the heart posture, Right? They were saying that beyond their ability, the Macedonian churches were giving because they understood the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. So we continue into verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So this is Paul encouraging the churches in Corinth to excel in this grace of giving. And 2 Corinthians 8.8 further says, I am not commanding you, Paul wasn't telling them you have to do this, but he was saying, I want to test the sincerity of your love by, by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And finally, in 8.9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. So, we heard this passage from Paul talking to the church of Corinth, asking them, not commanding them, asking them, testing the sincerity of their love, seeing how earnest they were, that would you consider giving to brothers and sisters in need in Jerusalem who are way more famished. They don't have enough food on the table. They can't make it another week or another month. Are, are you able to give a little bit to meet that need? And so it's, it's, it's such a startling heart truth when you see churches who are willing to step up to the plate to give, maybe even beyond what you would say normally their ability um, Paul wasn't actually making the ask of those churches in the Philippians and, and Macedonian churches because he knew they were actually probably getting it rougher than the church in Corinthians. So he didn't even ask them to participate, right? But they still wanted to. They had heard about the need and they said, Paul, we heard about this need for our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. We don't have much, but with what we have, we want to give it. And he was encouraging the church in Corinth to do the same. And so how should that speak to us? Well, number one, We'll go into how our attitude should be when we give. Number one, our giving should be generous, right? We need to have this posture of giving generously. Two, our giving should be sacrificial. In verses three, uh, three there should be a cost to our giving. In verses four, our giving should be joyful. It should point us towards joy, Four, uh, verse seven and eight, it says our giving should be excellent. We should be pursuing to excel in the grace of giving. And finally, in verses nine, it tells us to, our giving should be like Christ. Christ should be our model 
forgiving. And I'm going to dig into that um, as we close. But I want us to go into how are we living generously. Uh, we should have a slide here that has a little icon of initial giver here. How are you living generously? Okay. So um, there is a picture that uh, when we went to the Resonate membership class, they had created a really great visual I thought would be great for our church to kind of see what's the starting point. How do we enter into the step as a church believer into giving? And so the first step for people is often the initial giver. And so the question you should ask yourself, if you are struggling to even give, give at all, forget about just 10%, but just give anything, the question you should be asked is, how much does God want me to give? That should be the question you wrestle with. How much does God want me to give? The second thing, as you've kind of started your initial giving process as a believer, is being a consistent giver. How can I give consistently? What can I do to prepare, to budget, to give consistently? Um, and so for this, I think the hard part about being consistent is, is kind of easy sometimes to do a one-off donation. It's a lot harder to consistently give because you actually have to put some intention behind it. You have to set a budget, right? Um, and the part that Paul was talking about here too was don't give foolishly. Give wisely, as in make sure you are understanding your financial picture. He Paul knew like the churches in Macedonia were struggling a lot, and yet they still gave. That's why he asked a burden on the Corinthian church, who had a little bit more, maybe not a lot more, they were feeling the pressure, but they were a, a little bit more on the better side than some of the other churches. And so there's a part of giving consistently where you want to be wise. You don't necessarily want to have to be a burden on other people, but also you don't want to renege on your obligations or your promises or your loans. There's something important that God wants us to avoid excess debt. Um, and so it takes a while to build this consistency, right? Um, and yet this is the next step from initial giver to a consistent giver. And then it's the intentional giver. How can giving be a part of my lifestyle? Um, this is the part where when Paul talks about being a cheerful, a joyful giver, right? It's like building into a lifestyle, not just giving consistently, but my heart is wanting to give. I want to uh, participate in the giving to bless others, right? There's this heart posture of being intentional and wanting to give and participate. I think the challenge for us is this, um, for tithing. Sometimes, let's be honest, some of us don't feel like we want to pray, right? Sometimes we don't feel like we want to read our Bible, right? Sometimes we don't feel like we even want to love our spouse as they should be loved. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do those things. Does it mean we shouldn't love our spouse? Does it mean we shouldn't pray? Does it mean we shouldn't read our Bible? The same thing applies to tithing. Just because we don't feel like it doesn't mean we should not do it, right? It's that same concept, that intentionality in tithing. Sacrificial. Sacrificial giver. How can I live differently in order to give? Oof. Just that question. How can I live differently in order to give? Man, that's a sacrifice. I, I, I've been a believer for, for many years now. Uh, I think about 25 plus years now. And I know 
giving sacrificially still is difficult. To sacrifice something, right? To sacrifice whatever you were looking forward to next. Maybe you were eyeing that new car or eyeing that new thing for Christmas, that shiny new toy, and then asking ourselves this question, how can I live differently in order to give? And we look at the Bible in 2 Corinthians 8.3, we see the church who even in extreme poverty welled up with this heart to give, to be sacrificial in their giving. And that should be the same conviction that we should have today. And finally, the last one is a lifetime giver. Um, lifetime giver. And the lifetime giver is how much is God asking for us to keep ourselves? I guess maybe it didn't make it into the slide. Um, but lifetime givers, how much does God want me to keep? Um, and so this is like, as we live our lives, we should be always struggling and, and wrestling through our giving and our posture of giving. How much am I sacrificing? Um, and I was talking to Pastor AJ actually about this, the lifetime giver concept. And he told me about this concept. I was like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way or heard of it in a while. It's the concept of reverse giving, which is, you're like, what the heck is reverse giving? Reverse so reverse tithing um, is basically, can you get to a point in your life one day where you're only keeping 10% for yourself and giving 90% of it away? Oof, conviction. <laughs> um, so that is the model. I know each of us may be in different stages in this, and that's okay. But wherever you are in the stage, if you say you're an initial giver, you're not yet an initial giver, try to get onto that initial giver. If you're an initial giver, try to move into a consistent giver. If you're a consistent giver, how can you become an intentional giver? If you're an intentional giver, how can you become a sacrificial giver? And if you're a sacrificial giver, how can you structure your life so in your lifetime you can think about how can I give more away than I keep for myself? Um... Turn to the next slide, Daniel. Here's a photo, um, something I, I think I just wanted to, a visual, a reminder here. Um, so Leah and I, we had our 10-year anniversary, um, and I got a chance to reflect 10 years, 10 years of God's goodness, God's faithfulness. For me, I kind of threw up some old photos I found on Facebook and said, okay, here's 10 years for me, in a little nutshell. Um, getting married. 10 years ago, um, being a youth pastor in my youth group, um, different ministries at different churches, um, college where Lee and I first met um, before we even got married, uh, engagement, um, most recent photo, our family just taking a bike uh, by Alameda, by Shoreline, uh, movement church retreat, uh, life retreat, um, and as I was reflecting on my life, I, I just overwhelmed, overwhelmed by God's generosity. So let me just take a few minutes to share my story with you so I can share with you how God has been generous to Leah and I and my family, Xander, Sky. Um, I graduated from Biola, 2016, 17-ish. Um, and started my first job right out of Biola as a youth pastor, full-time ministry. At that time, 2000, uh, back then around 12, 13, uh, I remember 
they you know, said, hey, this is your salary. Um, it was right under $30,000, which translated around that time was just above minimum wage, just a little bit above minimum wage. Minimum wage back then was around $10 an hour. Can you guys remember? <laughs> minimum wage was around $10 an hour. Uh, I think now it's like $16 or so dollars an hour. Um, it was a struggle. We were called to a, a church in Menlo Park, which if you guys know Menlo Park is like one of the most expensive areas to live in the Bay Area, like near one of the most expensive zip codes, Menlo Atherton. Um, and then I remember commuting from Oakland, because that's where my aunt lived, and I stayed with her. I would take a uh, commute all the way over to church every day um, for ministry. And I remember when uh, Lee and I got married, um, we found our first uh, apartment in Redwood City, which was like a place kind of close by uh, that we could kind of afford. And I remember uh, every year, um, actually, I think we, we counted it together. We moved five times in the first four years of our marriage <laughs> because rent always kept going up. Like, we'd barely afford a place, and then rent would, you know, move up, and they're like, oh, we can't afford here. Let's look for another place. So we moved, like, five times in, like, the first four years of our marriage and ministry. And I remember we would have struggle. We would struggle with finance and uh, giving and how much should we tithe. And I remember Leah, remember she reminded me, was a stickler on, like, 10%, like, Alex, no matter what, we need to give 10%. And I was, you know, like, wrestling in my heart. Like, I was like, oh, I'm serving full-time as a youth pastor. We're making just above minimum wage. Like, um, like I'm already serving. Like, do we have to give a full 10%? Like, can my time count as my tithe? Like, I'm serving. And, um, but we wrestled with it, and we always got back down to it. Yes, like, God is calling us to tithe. Gross 10%. And so we did, even though it was hard. Um, at that time, Lee and I were still struggling with college debt. Uh, from college, private school, $60,000, in debt. Um, I was wanting to, convicted to go to seminary, start seminary. Seminary wasn't cheap. Um, so all these struggles around finances, and yet tithing for us just became the thing we did. Even if we didn't know if we would be able to finish paying rent at the end of the month or how much we would have left over for food, like we just knew for us our conviction was we needed to pay 10% of our tithe. And let me tell you, even though it was tough and it was rough, we also got to see God's hand of provision through all those years. Um, every year we had a place, even we had to move because it was affordable, we had a place over our heads, we had enough food to eat, um, even though uh, at the end of the year our church, you know, had this end-of-the-year donation to help us to start our first retirement account kind of thing. Like, hey, we know you don't have enough to set aside for retirement. We're giving you this amount you can set aside for your retirement. Um, so all these little blessings just coming in, coming in, coming in. And fast forward um, to where we are now, like 10-plus years later, and, man, God has been so faithful. Like, I would not have imagined 10 years ago when we first got married to where we are to own our first home in the bay, um, that's, uh, <laughs> that's tough. Um, it's a blessing, a lot of it's blessing from parents as well who stewarded their finances well, who had a home here that they blessed to us, be like our first home that kind of kick-started for us. Um, but even just God's faithfulness, all that debt that we had through college and those years, like God has been faithful where the last stuff that Biden and Obama and all those different policies that went through, we were able to finally get all that debt paid off. 
And so God's been good. God has been so good and faithful to us. And I know that my story is just one of many stories. I know if I was to look around the room and ask each of you guys, how has God provided for you or your family? I feel like everyone here has a story of how God has provided and how God has been faithful to you. If we turn here, um, next photo. This is a photo of us and our prayer night um, here at Movement. And this one's a reminder of me of God's generosity to our church, how he has been so faithful to our church. And I've witnessed in the last six, six and a half years plus of being here at Movement, just God's generosity, how he has moved mightily through you, how you have written checks to families in need in our local community, or written checks even to bless one another, help one another. When we've seen a family in need, our church has risen up to support one another. I've seen uh, countless times where we as a church, not just monetary, but like about time, giving, preparing meals, signing up for meal trains. We have a lot of new babies, signing up for all those meal trains, and blessing those who are in need, who need it. I've seen our church coming alongside those of us who we've had um, struggles for single parents, moms who struggle with having, needing support, needing childcare, just needing a break, a night for their own, and I've seen so much of our church step up to watch kids on their time, and, and this happened for me. Thank you for everyone who's blessed me and our kids and watching them for Lee and I can go on a date night, and I know so many of you guys have seen us as a church rise up, being generous with our time, with our money. And so I want us to have one more vision as we look ahead to giving uh, in this next slide. This was the recent prayer worship event that Resonate had, um, their first kind of big kickoff for their prayer and worship um, that they've had in a while. And this is a reminder for me that our church, uh, a few months ago, Pastor Chris shared with me, as we were going through this partnership, one of the things that uh, Resonate told our church and our staff and our elders was, we would naturally assume once we got partnered, we got kind of acquired by, become a campus, an Oakland campus, we just give our savings, the money we have to resonate, right? Because they were kind of taking over our finances. They're going to pay for the salary of all of our staff and all of our needs. And yet when it came time about that discussion, Resonate said, no, actually, Movement Church family, we don't want to keep a penny of that. We want you to give it all away on missions. We've looked at your finances for all the past few years. We know how you've struggled as a church financially. We know how you've given above and beyond as a church family how you've given um, to help one another, to help those in need in your community. But we've seen you struggle to, to really pour out into international missions and local missions and supporting other churches. You've been trying to just survive yourself. And they said, we want you to give away every single dollar you have for missions this year. And so that's what we're doing. That's what AJ shared, that plan. is We're basically trying to give away every single thing we have towards missions the end of this year. The whole Be Generous campaign, we don't want to keep a single penny for movement or resonate church. We want to give it all away on missions. And that's the heart. That's the heart of generosity, right? That's the heart we see in Corinthians that Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. Would you join in this mission? I'm not commanding you to do so, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love with the earnestness of others. That's the conviction, church. 
I want to leave us off with this quote. Um, it convicted me. I hope it convicts you. Martin Luther, the guy who wrote the 95 Thesis, kind of father of the Protestant church in many ways, he said, when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere. I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I have never lost. Amen? That I have never lost. As I close, as we talk about from scarcity to generosity, I wanted to leave us with this final picture and vision of the gospel. As we look to creation, as we look to the beginning, remember we shared God created this perfect world in the Garden of Eden, one of abundance, one where you could have more than you ever could need, any type of fruit and taste you can imagine, vegetable, everything in abundance. And then what happened? And then the fall. Sin entered the world. The one fruit that God said, don't taste of this fruit because if you do, you will surely die. The knowledge of good and evil and what is the one thing we did? We picked up that fruit, obviously. <laughs> and we suffered those consequences now, today. And from there, we entered scarcity, the idea that there wasn't enough, right? That uh, there's not, God maybe, yeah, maybe God is, is almighty, but maybe he's not gonna provide for me. Maybe God actually doesn't have my best in his mind. And then we come to this next photo, reminder of, Man, just the trials that humanity went through, right? The flood where God was like so angry with humanity for sinning time and time again. He was like, I'm gonna wipe out everything. I'm gonna leave one remnant left. And then even after that, he promised, hey, the, the rainbow, I'm never gonna do that again. I'm never gonna flood the earth. And then still his people, time and time again, his chosen people, the Israelites, I'm gonna send you to this promised land, a land flowing of milk and honey, Everything you could want, I'm going to provide. Even I'm going to give you food from heaven, manna from heaven. And yet, what did they do? They turned from God again and again and again. And I think if you and I were in God's place at some point, we'd be like, what am I going to do? I just give up. Let's just start over. Like, okay, I'm not going to do a flood. I'm just going to throw an asteroid at them, right? Like, let's just redo this. Let's start over. But no. What does God do? God sent his son, Jesus. He's gonna keep giving God in this nature so generously. He said, I'm gonna give my one and only son for you and for you and for you to let you know that, yes, even though you don't feel like there's enough, my son is gonna be enough. His body is gonna be enough for you. His blood is gonna pay for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. Amen? That's the power of God's generosity in our lives. That's the power that should be welling up inside of us as we choose to give because Jesus chose to give. All the way to the cross, his very life for our own. That is the type of generosity that should inspire us, that should move us as believers. So, I'm gonna pray in just a moment. We're gonna actually gonna take communion as a way to celebrate what Jesus has done with his body, with his blood for us. 
So for those of you on my right-hand side, you guys can come up to the front on this side and grab communion. And those on my left, you can come through the back and get communion. We're going to sing a song of worship. But let me just lead us in a prayer. That Father God, we see through creation, we see through the story all the way through that you have a heart that chooses to give and give and give, even when we have turned away time and time and time again. And so God, we praise you because you could have chosen to say, okay, that's it. I'm gonna stop giving. I'm gonna stop being generous. But instead, you said, I'm gonna give in ultimate generosity, the ultimate symbol of what I can give. I'm giving my one and only son. I'm giving a part of me to pay for those sins, to pay for the ways that humanity has turned away time and time again. And so we come now to this communion table recognizing it is your body, your blood that pays for those sins. In the ultimate act of generosity, you gave yourself away. So God, we wanna take that. That is our role model. That is why we choose to give. Because you gave to us first and you keep giving to us. And you never stop giving. So God, would you fill our hearts as we sing your praise and as we take your bread, this blood as a reminder. In 1 Corinthians it says, Paul says that this is my body, the bread broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup, the cup, the wine in his hands and said, this represents my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so God, we as a church want to now take communion as a reminder of your generosity. We praise you, God. We thank you for how you have keep giving to us in our time of need. We praise you and all God's people said, amen.